We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, especially those of you who are visiting with us today. We are just delighted that you're here with us. And there's a friendship pad on each one of the pews. It's near the center aisle. It's a black folder. I'd love to have you fill it out and pass it down the row so other people can do that too and let us know that you're here today. The announcements in the life of our church are in our connections that is inside of your bulletin. You can see that our outreach committee is accepting donations today for the schools that are on Camp Pendleton. So the school supplies, it's hard for them to have school supplies, so we are collecting money to help donate to the school for school supplies for the children of the military kids on Camp Pendleton. Our book talk group meets this Tuesday. We're discussing the book Circling the Sun, which is about Kenya. It's not a closed group. It's open to anybody who's read the book. So if you've read the book, come. It's going to be a great conversation about old Kenya in the early 1900s, uh, in the days of uh, out of Africa. It's the same era. Um, also, we have next Saturday a town hall meeting. Again, yesterday there were about 60 of us who gathered in Tank Hall, dreamed about the future. It was a great process, and I see a lot of you who were there, and I see a lot of you who weren't. So I really hope that you plan to be there tomorrow, uh, next, not tomorrow, next Saturday. It's 9 to 11, and we're done by 11, and we actually have food to eat anyway. So it's going to be a great morning. And we actually need your voice to talk to us about the future and about what you think God could, could be calling us to in the future. Things that we definitely never want to lose no matter what and things that we think we really must change based on some of what we know about society and about the demographics in the area. So come and be part of that. It was a great process. Also next Saturday, if you're not part of that, we have a Habitat for Humanity build. You can find out the information about where to meet to help do that. Our men's retreat is beginning to sign up for October. If you have a child in elementary school, you can see that our homework club, Club 325, is signing up. It's a chance for your children to work together down in our youth center on homework and have a great time together. I hear that it's just so much fun that they come and hardly know that they're doing their homework, but it gets done anyway. Also, our Mops Mothers of Preschoolers group is beginning to take registrations for the fall. Um, that's a, a wonderful group that I'm one of the mentors for, and uh, I hope that if you are of that age or you know someone who is, that you'll invite them to be part of that. The flowers this morning are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Chaz and Karen Offhammer, and so we congratulate them. They were with us in the first service. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. God of the ages, our times are in your hands. We thank you for your servants in each generation who have done justice and loved mercy and walked humbly with you. We're amazed and grateful that in Jesus Christ, you've made us together with them your very own people. And so as your church on earth and in heaven, we come to worship you this morning with all of our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Mindful, Mindful of, of the gifts, gifts we, we receive from, from God, God 
confident of the nourishment the Lord provides, we come to worship the living God. And let our worship continue as we stand and worship the Lord in song. Signs and wonders. With signs and wonders. 
Loving and gracious God, we long to be faithful stewards of your abundant grace, to serve each other in love and humility, to serve your world with wisdom and energy. Forgive, Forgive us when, when we stumble over our own pride, when our words and actions are not guided by love, when we act foolishly Turn our hearts back to you. And when we grow weary of doing good, renew our trust in you, O Lord. Take now a moment for personal silence confession. Amen. God knows that sometimes, many times, our best efforts fall or fail. But God's abundant grace is always strong and eternal. And forgiveness is ours through Jesus Christ. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Amen. Show us your ways, Lord, that we
We have quite a challenging scripture before us this morning. I will confess, Thursday morning I wrote the sermon, pretty much had it good to go. I tossed and turned all Thursday night, and I started all over again on Friday. That's tough. But I always remember what Pastor Jerry used to tell me, you never stop writing a sermon until the day after. So, (laughs) tomorrow I'll keep working on it. So our passage is from the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to be reading from verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 49 through 56. Hear now God's word to us. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized And what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I've come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There's going to be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us to really engage with this text this morning. We pray that you would open up our eyes to what Jesus is saying here and how it not only speaks to us of 2,000 years ago, but about what we may be going through even now in our relationships. So bless us now, we pray. Amen. As some of you may know, this fall, 
my son Aaron will be transferring from Saddleback College to the University of Oregon. I heard that. He has about three weeks left in Laguna, and he is savoring those weeks before he takes off for Eugene. My son is going to be a duck. As a Trojan, I have been praying long and hard about this, that I would accept this all. But to be honest with you, I am so proud of Aaron and so excited for him. It's going to be the right place for him at just the right time. I have been so impressed of all the literature that the University of Oregon has been sending him, preparing him for registration, his major housing and food plans. And there's one folder that came recently that really caught my eye. It had to do with explaining the reality of what it will mean for him to be a student at Oregon. It talks about what they're going to demand of him, his time, his focus, and his diligence. In other words, it's saying, this is not going to be a cakewalk for you. This is what we expect of you and what you should expect as a student of our fine university. Now, as parents... We have received our own packet and our own calendar, not only telling us when we need to pay those fees, but explaining the balance that we need to make in the life of this new university student. It talks about letting him go. That's really hard for parents these days, isn't it? Just to let your child go as they go off to school. But at the same time, it's challenging us to find that way to still engage with your student. It had a long thing about all of the anxiety and depression that freshmen and transfer students can experience as they go off to college. So find a way to still stay engaged. It listed a number of questions to ask our son in that packet when we have the talk. Yes, they called it the talk before he goes off to school. The university knows how important it is to be aware of what you're getting yourself into before taking those steps, before taking on that first quarter at college. They don't want that student to fall behind. So can you remember the talk that someone had with you? Maybe someone you looked up to at the time when you first went off to school or took out that first bank account or got the first job or purchased the first car or maybe when you bought your first house with that mortgage. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent or a mentor who told you the real deal. Can you remember some of the points they shared with you that made all the difference in the world? You acted that like, at that age like you really weren't listening. You know what that's like up there, students? You act like you really weren't listening. But as you look back, there were things those people shared with you that you even remember today. Maybe some phrases or some points that you bring up in your mind before you take on another new responsibility. You know what that person was doing for you. They were preparing you. They were getting you ready for all of those potential pitfalls and challenges that came with that new responsibility in life. And as you look back now, I'll bet 
you're really thankful for some of those things they've said. So I picture Jesus here in this passage having the talk with his followers to let them know what they're really getting into as they have made this decision to follow Jesus. In chapter 5, he had called his 12 apostles. And in chapter 10, he called 70 other disciples, those people who would go into towns before him to get things ready for his arrival and his ministry. And at this point, there must be a sizable group that was growing and continuing to grow in size as he went from town to town to town. Those people would pick up and continue to follow him. And so it appears, before they go any further, he knew it was time to sit them down and have that reality talk. Now, I became a follower of Jesus at the end of my senior year in high school. Little did I know what was before me. When I first brought up Jesus at the dinner table with my grandparents, He just didn't seem to be as excited as I was about Jesus and my excitement about Him being the Son of God. Especially my grandfather, he really struggled with it. And I can remember at that same dinner table sharing with him that I was starting to feel called to be a pastor. I remember the expression on his face. He said, might there be something else that interests you out there? And then there were the friends that I had since elementary school, one in particular since kindergarten. One I had since kindergarten, Neil. I can still remember on the playground at kindergarten us riding these tricycles next to each other. And we'd, for some reason, we thought it was funny when we just pounded these tricycles into the wall and the teachers would get mad at us. And I turned to him and I go, I'm Steve. And he goes, I'm Neil. And we had a blood-brother friendship through all those years. He was really with me through junior high when my parents were going through all of these problems and my mom fell into addiction and all these things. He was there for me. I could sleep at his house whenever something was going wrong at my house. But these friends of mine were not celebrating with me the new relationship I had with Jesus. Quite the contrary. The first November, they came home from school. We were over at Drew's house, and we were talking about other things, and I found out they were talking about me before I got there. They were quite upset about me becoming a Christian, going to church, having a Christian girlfriend. And at the end of the night, they gave me the ultimatum. It's either Jesus or it's us. When I brought up God in the classroom at my summer job that summer or at the kegger party down the street, I wasn't getting the response I was expecting from people. And so something was happening in those relationships that I just couldn't explain. So I sat down with my youth pastor, Phil Butin, and I asked him what was going on. His first response was this. It's not you, Steve. It's Jesus. And we had a long reality talk about what was before me as a follower of Christ. And then he said this at the end of our conversation. Steve, as you follow Jesus, be patient, be kind, 
and being loving to those around you, especially your family, because they remember you how you used to be. So if you give it some time, they may just begin to ask you some questions. So what is it about this man, Jesus? What is it about Jesus that causes such divide in relationships? What is it about him that has made him the most controversial person in all of human history? Leaders, as we have seen, have come and gone. They can be on the front of newspapers, but they will come and go. Jesus will always be the most controversial person in all of human history. Why? Was it his miracles? Healing the blind, the deaf, the mute, the leper, the paralyzed, the sick? Delivering the oppressed, calming the storm, raising the dead? Was it those stories he told to seem to turn the ways of the world upside down or right side up when he talked about the coming kingdom of God and the power of God's love? Was it the way he treated people with compassion? All kinds of people, whether Jew or Gentile, women, men, boys, girls, slave and free, rich and poor outcasts, foreigners, prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves, and sinners. He treated every person equally with dignity and love. Was it the change of life in so many that decided to follow him? We still talk about this guy, fish, this fisherman Peter. Look at that change of life and that he went on to be one of the pillars of the church. Was it the witness and writings of his birth, life, death, and resurrection? Was it his following that exploded and expanded like wildfire from Galilee to Jerusalem and now throughout the entire earth? Was it his claim to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the King of the world? I would say yes, all of the above and so much more. And yet when it comes down to it, could it be that it's in our nature to want to live life our own way, on our own terms, and then along comes this person, Jesus, who claims to be the Son of God. He calls us to follow Him, and when we do, we find that our life is changing from the inside out. All I can tell you is this will always cause crisis and controversy in a relationship. Because when this faith happens, when this genuine faith happens, when this new way of life emerges in a family or a family system or in old relationships, old friendships, even in the workplace, there's likely going to be a response. Hopefully the response is that people are celebrating that someone became a Christian. Hallelujah! A life has been changed. Someone's trusted in Christ and, and their life will never be the same. Such celebration. Sometimes there will be neutrality. Sometimes forced neutrality. But that doesn't last too long. But another potential is the reaction of pushback and division. 
And I'm guessing there are some of you here this morning that has experienced that pushback and division when you gave your life to Jesus. It was even so in Jesus' own family. Did you know in the Gospel of John chapter 7, we're told that when Jesus was teaching, when many were coming to faith in him, that even his own brothers wouldn't believe in him. N.T. Wright makes the point in his book, Simply Jesus, that wherever Jesus went, whatever he said, whatever he did, he would always be caught in the eye of the storm. He goes on to say, this means anyone who would choose to follow Jesus will come to know the reality, likewise, of living in this storm alongside Jesus. So here's Jesus. He's looking at the apostles, the disciples. He sees the masses growing, and he knows because he loves and has compassion on them, it's time to give the talk. And so he begins with the focus of his ministry. Did you see that? Jesus said, I came to bring fire on this earth. A fire that was first kindled when he arrived from heaven some 30 years before. And he's not speaking of a literal fire, an inferno that brings destruction. He's speaking of a refiner's fire. A fire of love and grace that will purify God's people. Like silver or gold that goes through the fire when the impurities are raised up and the pollutants are pushed out making it pure. So Jesus' ministry will bring forgiveness and grace and mercy that will usher His people, usher us pure into the presence of God. And He then explains how this very truth, this very fire will be fulfilled. He says, I must go through a baptism. Not one of water as He's speaking of, but one of suffering, one of death. Not to bring about a false peace, there were some people that thought when the Messiah comes to Israel, he will wipe out all of our enemies. He'll get rid of those Romans and he will set himself up as king in the temple. And that's not what Jesus came to do. This baptism will bring about a true peace, a completed peace. And he will set himself up on the cross as the king of Israel, the king of the world. And he will take that baptism for you, and he has taken that baptism for you, and he's taken it for me. So now that he's set down those truths, he gives them the reality check. When you decide to follow me, be aware that one of the effects might be a division in a relationship. Your faith in me can provoke opposition and tension. That's not the desired effect of Jesus. The desired effect is that there will be this contagious love. But you see what's happened? Our allegiance is moving from one thing to another. Our allegiance has moved from a certain person in our life 
or a certain place or a certain thing, or it could be money or power. I don't know. You know what it was for you. But that allegiance is switching and changing from that to some other. And Jesus is saying, I'm the other. Your allegiance has switched from this to me. And that will have a ripple effect in your relationship. He's saying, count on it. So be prepared. Be aware. It's not you. It's Jesus. About 10 years ago, after I had officiated a memorial in this sanctuary, I was standing out there in our courtyard and I was talking with some of the family members. The estranged father of the daughter, the girl that had passed away, was glaring at me from a distance. You ever had that happen? You're speaking with someone, you're trying to stay engaged, but you can see someone right over there that wants to talk to you, and you know they're not a happy camper. So you just keep in that other conversation. Maybe I can keep this going a little bit longer. As the family finally moved on from talking to me to another group, the father walked right up to me. And he said, nine times, nine times. Now, first I thought he was quoting one of my favorite movies, Ferris Bueller. Mrs. Bueller, your son has been absent from school nine times. That wasn't what he was talking about. He said, you mentioned Jesus' name nine times during that service. Do you really think that was necessary, Pastor? And then he went on. I would have found it offensive if you had even said his name once. And then he said, I emailed that family over there, that family over there, not to allow this to happen, but they wouldn't listen. Now, I had a lot of things I'd like to say to the man at that point. But I remembered Phil's words years ago, one of the phrases that has stayed in my mind all these years. It's not you, Steve. It's Jesus. And I know, I knew after taking a deep breath, there was much going on in that family. There was a story in that family of division. And so with a calm voice, I asked this grieving father, why do you find Jesus so offensive? And then he broke down and he cried. And he embraced me. And for 30 minutes we talked about Jesus and his daughter's love for Jesus. We can't always put our finger on the reason for these divisions. But we can choose how we respond to them. Now the tough part about preaching this passage, and I think you'll agree now, this is a tough passage. It's right in the middle of a number of teachings that Jesus was sharing. And so it doesn't appear that we're given an immediate remedy for how to deal with these divisions. But as I kept reading the passage over and over again, I saw, on the other hand, maybe the remedy is there. As Christ is laid down for us in his baptism, he spoke of. Maybe we too, in the face of opposition, are called to lay down our life 
in a sense, out of love for others. So when the division, when the conflict is before us, we can choose to follow the words of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And we know that we are secure as children of God. We can take the risk of being a peacemaker in that relationship. As Pastor Phil told me, Steve, be patient, be kind, be loving to those around you, especially your family. And if you give it time, they just may begin to ask you some questions. During the last few weeks of my grandfather's life, he often asked me to sit by his bed and to read from him, read for him from the book of Hebrews a book of the Bible that he loved since his childhood. He told me when I first brought Jesus back into the home that he thought that God wouldn't want anything to do with him since he had drifted away from God so long ago. But he said this, Watching what Jesus had done in your own life, Steve, opened my eyes to God's loving grace for my own. And he even asked if I would do his memorial and share one of his favorite verses from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. You never know what the eye of the storm may stir up in your own life about Jesus. You never know what the eye of the storm may stir up in the relationships that you have with others. But the eye of the storm has that power and that potential to bring the peace that we all long for. Peace with God. Peace with one another. May God's kingdom come. Amen. Amen. Faithful God. You dwelling place in all generations. You shelter safer than all threats. You shepherd who goes before us and is rear guard after us. With your people of old, we confess gladly that our times are in your hands. So come, O oh Lord, into the storms of our lives and of our world. Hear our cries, work your ways among us, bring restoration. Pray for the people of Hong Kong, of Kashmir, of Kabul. Come, O oh Lord, into the midst of all the pushing and shoving amongst us, propelled by anxiety and so often acted out as alienation and brutality. Bring your healing and reconciliation to our broken places, to our old wounds festering into powerful resentment, to the fraying and broken relationships with our family, with our friends to the alienation in our country and in our world. 
in the places where we disagree. Teach us to do so without disdain, without hatred, without the need to get even. So work your grace within us so that we might truly become instruments of your peace. Even as we pray for the day when your will is done on earth as it is in heaven, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
When they let me go And I just don't know How I'm gonna make ends meet I did my best Now I'm scared to death That I might lose everything When a sickness takes my brother away And there's nothing I can do My only hope is to trust in you Trust you, Lord In the eye of the storm You remain in control In the middle of the war You guard my soul sails are torn your love surrounds me in the eye of the let's stand and sing that together in the eye of the storm you remain in control in the middle of the war you guard my soul you alone are the anchor when my sails are torn your love surrounds me we're gonna sing it a cappella. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor. When my sails are torn, your love surrounds me. O oh Lord, how grateful we are that the now of our present time is in your hands. We gladly entrust the needs of our now over to you. And we're even more grateful that our futures are in your hands. We cannot see from here to there, but you can. And so we entrust to you ourselves, our children, our church, and these gifts asking that you will use them and that you will use us for your purposes in this world. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. All people will know that you are my followers if you love one another. And so may we leave here today with our faith, hope, and love, and the peace of Christ everywhere we go into all the relationships that we have. God bless you this week. Amen. Thank you.